before we, before we dig in, I actually, um, I guess a, a sense of, I don't know, how many of you would say specifically that you feel like life has a sense of urgency with it? Like you ever feel kind of, yeah, you feel kind of rushed or in a hurry or I'm, I got to get this done and, and this time and, and this time. If I, could, if I can get this in place or this in place, then we'll, be, we'll actually understand what's going on or, or whatever it is. I feel like we understand that life is urgent in most every situation, period, except for I feel like a lot of times we don't recognize the urgency when we come across Scripture. And there are always events and times and things that remind us of the urgency of life in, in, in loved ones, in pain. And I actually wanted to just pause real quickly and we're going to pray uh, for, for our brothers and sisters in the Middle East who are here experiencing heavy, heavy persecution. But it's, it's, it's not new. Like this is, I mean, it's new there, but it's happening in Asia and, and Africa and on, all over Europe. This is, this is something that happens very regularly, and it's an it's a easy reminder of how broken and messed up this world is. But I think if we aren't engaged in it at all, if we distance ourselves too much, I feel like a lot of times that we don't recognize that there's that same urgency that we obviously know that every single person over there wakes up sleeps with and sees, and we kind of come and just ignore it. And so I wanted to just pray real quickly. So would you join me? God, thank you for um, our brothers and sisters um, who are just getting heavily persecuted, attacked in the Middle East right now. God, I can't imagine what it is like to be there. I can't imagine how difficult it would be to see your loved ones attacked uh, for, for you. Um, Father, you, you tell us that persecution will come and forgive us for sitting in these slightly comfortable seats um, and ignoring or, or not even aware of uh, the pain that those that are part of your kingdom and our family are experiencing right now. God, may we not um, just sit in the comfort of a, of a building where we can stand up and, and share the gospel with no fear of any kind of persecution. God, may we not take that for granted. Um, but instead, would you instill in us an, an urgency to, to love and to share and to see your, your, your kingdom present here on earth as it is in heaven? God, for, for the families that are, are losing loved ones by the minute, for the families that are um, maybe even waffling and not understanding why, God, I just pray that you'd bring a peace that makes no sense. Um, God, I pray that you, each of us in this room and, and, and all the brothers and sisters around the world would actually engage in, in praying for your, your hand and your work. Um, God, that you would have mercy and that you would would show uh, your love. It's times like this where um, it'd be easy to debate religion and fights and who's wrong and who is right and see things about, well, the Christians used to do this or the, the whatever. I, God, I just pray that you would just just hinder all that, put all that to, to a stop and, and bring glory to your son, Jesus Christ, through this. Um, allow those that are, are hurting to be comforted. Allow those of us who are incredibly comfortable to maybe hurt a little bit more for our brothers and sisters. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As, it, we're at an interesting spot in, in Matthew where um, he kind of takes the turn from Jesus doing all of the work. And this is the, this is the opportunity where Jesus invites or encourages, actually kind of demands his, his disciples to go out and start doing his work. And, and I love this section because it's, it's essentially the first missionaries that we have. It's, it's, it's essentially the, the first people that Jesus invites to be a part of his kingdom today that he did then. And I, I love that for that reason. But I think if we're not careful, a lot of us will read this section and go, okay, that's neat. That must have been for those, those 12 disciples. And that's, that's kind of it. And we just disconnect ourselves from that. And so what I want to do is I'm just going to read through this text and we'll pause in a couple spots and then we'll, we'll dig in a little bit more. It's uh, starting in verse 36. Actually, we'll do 35. We'll read back one um, of chapter 9. 
And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. I love that because he says every, not, not some, not, not most, but he was healing every single disease and affliction that was going on. And then the, this turn. And when he saw the crowd, so this is the people that were following him. This is the people that kind of have been around. These aren't the people that, that were following and knew him. These are the, peop- the, the people that necessarily, he didn't, or didn't identify themselves as followers of him yet. When we saw the crowd, he had compassion for them. And I love this word because actually there isn't a Greek translation for this word. This is a made-up word. This is the only time this word is used. And there was no word for the immense amount of compassion he felt that was in the language. And so they brought up a new word here. And essentially this word is this immense pity and, and that, that draws to action, this, this, this overwhelming pain or fear, or, or not fear, but pain for this, for this people. And he says, I had compassion for them. So what does he do? Because he has compassion for them. He says, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That's a pretty big slap because, again, the shepherds should have been the Pharisees and the scribes at this time. He's basically pointing out that they weren't present at all. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, because there's so much harvest, because the laborers are few, would you pray, earnestly pray to the Lord for the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest? And then he called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. And I, like, I got to pause here. If you're a disciple sitting there and Jesus is saying, you know, here, go and do all this. And oh, by the way, <laughs> heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. I'd be like, wait, excuse me? Like, Jesus, that was, like, you're the first person that we've seen do this. You're going to give us this authority to do this? And he just says it confidently, and then he moves right past it. Like, hey, by the way, this is what you're going to do. And then he goes on to this, this weird expectation, which might have been a little um, uncomfortable for these disciples. Acquire no gold, or you received without pay, nor, um, sorry, you received without pay, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whoever, and whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your, to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. And so Jesus sits here and says this. And I, again, I can't help but think if I'm sitting there hearing this going, this is, yeah, yeah, this is awesome. Okay, wait, okay, no, wait. You want me to take nothing? You, you, want, me to, you want me to take absolutely nothing? Like I, I, no tunics, no, a tunic was an important thing. This was something that they would use not only as their cloak to cover them from the sun and the weather, but this was their blanket and their bedding at night. And he said, wait, don't take an extra pair of sandals. Like sandals fall apart and, and it's hot ground and jagged rocks and, and whoa, whoa, no staff. That's the only way we can protect ourselves from robbers. And don't take food or gold. How are we going to eat? And he, he sets us out and then we will get there next week. But 
I kind of feel like Jesus kind of bait and switched them. You know, at first he's like, I'm going to give you all authority. I'm like, yes, yes, give me that authority. That's awesome. And you're going you're to cleanse the lepers. All right, this is awesome, you know. And okay, you're going to do it without any of this stuff. Oh, okay, that's a little weird. And then the next line and, and that we're going to get into next is, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. It's like, whoa, hang on a second, Jesus. This got really not fun instantly. But what I love about this text is, is, is that he's, he's saying a few things that are, that are interesting, but it all begins with what? Jesus had compassion. It all begins with him having compassion and him seeing a need. And he tells us to earnestly, it means to pray without ceasing, to go over and over and over again, this, this aching prayer, to earnestly do so, praying for laborers. And I gotta ask you a question. When is the last time that you've earnestly prayed for laborers for the harvest? I mean, honestly, I came to this text and was like, oh, oops. He doesn't say, pray for a couple really cool church pastors to make a really big difference in, a, in an area. He says, no, pray for laborers. The harvest is plenty. There's tons and tons and tons of people. Pray for the laborers. And his point isn't that you would pray and not be engaged in it. His point is that you'd pray and then realize that, that you are, if you are in Christ, are a laborer. This is a call on your life as well. It's not just some other person. Like, we can pray for laborers in, in the Middle East and helping in that way. And maybe some of you, you are to go. But a lot of it's, it's just, I need to earnestly pray that God would keep raising up leaders amidst a place where they are getting destroyed. We can earnestly pray. When's the last time you've earnestly prayed? And he goes on and gives these, these interesting things. He says, first, he, before he, he sends them off as apostles, he, he tells them, he gives his authority to them. This is a really big deal because he lays his hand of authority. And Jesus looking, he's fully God and fully human, and he's capable of doing everything that God can do. And so he could just kind of snap his fingers and everything would happen. But instead, he invites you and I and these disciples into the mission. And it's a mission that, that is, is ultimately going to be accomplished. The gates of hell can't get in the way of it. We know that Jesus says that later on. But instead of just saying, no, I got this, don't worry about it, he invites you and me into this process. And he invites the disciples. He says, there's so many people. We need to, we need to spread out. Go. And it, it, We're not going to spend much time talking about the disciples here, although I wanted to point out a couple things. Is each of these men, other than Matthew, were, were of poor stature. Matthew was rich because of, well, we talked about that because he was a tax collector. I also think it's interesting in here that Matthew decides that when he's laying out his name here, he says, Matthew, the tax collector. Like, I, I feel like that's an immense amount of humility because that was not an easy thing to write. Right, and pen for everyone to see, kind of airing his dirty laundry there. But these men, there's, there's a lot of really interesting things about them, but we're not going to spend a ton of time talking about them today. I would encourage you to, to read in and look at them. But, but he takes, he turns to these 12, and he gives them very specific direction. He says, okay, I give you my authority. Here's my authority. It's, it's yours. And, and go and, and do these things. And, and, and then he, he gives some specifics. Okay, don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. Gentiles would have been the non-Jewish people. Samaritans would have been half-breed Jews, more hated by, Gentile, or more hated by the Jews than Gentiles even. And, and he says, don't go to them. And scholars disagree all over about why not to go to them. But I, I think essentially, it's, it's, Jesus starts with, with the Jews. And I think it's interesting because he starts with the people that think they understand God, but they really don't. Gentiles and Samaritans knew that, like, in their regard, they had, no, they had no God in that regard. They didn't know it. They didn't have any understanding, and so they weren't questioning it. And so he starts with these people. And, and in a way, I feel like it's, it's kind of, it, he kind of gives a soft little mission for his disciples. Like, hey, you're Jewish people. You'll understand this a little bit more. You've been raised Jewish, so let's go ahead and let's go tell them about the kingdom of God. And he doesn't end it at just tell them. 
He doesn't say just go preach the gospel. He doesn't tell him to preach in the synagogue. Instead, it's like door to door. Right? He's like knocking on doors and being like, hey, let me tell you about the, the kingdom of heaven. And he doesn't, he, doesn't just, he doesn't just tell him to teach it. He says, would you do me a favor? <laughs> By favor, he commands it of him. He says, would you, would you preach the gospel and then heal all the needs, meet the needs of these people, be, be tangibly present in the gospel. Don't just talk about it, but show it. Let people experience it. Let people feel it. Let people taste it. That's why I love Serve Sundays, guys. That's why we, we encourage our gospel communities, serve, get out there and be on mission, do something with your hands because, because the gospel just talked about isn't what Jesus intended. He said, yeah, you need to teach, you need to talk about it, but show how it can happen. Show how the kingdom of heaven can change people's lives. Show the ta- meet the tangible needs of people in your life. So he doesn't just say teach, but he gives them this. And he says, don't go to the... the um, the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but go to the house of Israel first. We know that Jesus ultimately, um, the gospel, he died for all, and we see in the Great Commission, and we also know that Jesus healed a um, centurion's slave, so he's already spent time engaging and ministering with Gentiles, so it's not like he's against them. It's just that was the role for these guys right now. And then he goes on to this interesting section where he tells them, Look, don't, don't take anything with you. For you received the gospel by doing absolutely nothing. Which I think we have to pause again. He's kind of weaving this message in over and over and over again. Look, you don't deserve it. You did nothing to gain it. It's it's my work and therefore it's now yours. And you didn't didn't pay for it. You didn't didn't earn it. And there's a lot of magicians and people in that day that were spending time like claiming healing, but they would want a lot of money. And there were even Pharisees and some people that were teaching in this way, and they were teaching truths, but they were saying that's going to cost you money. And so they always did it for money. And I think Jesus is trying to swing this pendulum the opposite way and saying, you didn't receive this with anything. Don't get anything. You didn't give anything to get it. Therefore, don't take anything in return. And I love this because, because what essentially it does is it puts these guys, and he says it in the next verse, when we, next week we'll talk about it, it puts these guys in an incredibly vulnerable position. They have to go and be the tangible example of the gospel, and they're essentially sheep amongst wolves with no means to meet their basic needs. And what I love about that is I feel like a lot of us spend all of our energy, time, and our urgency on our basic needs and forget that we're called to be a part of the mission. And, and I think it's, you know, if I were these apostles, let's say I was Matthew or one of them, and I was out there, and I, I feel like I would ultimately see the power of God when I touched the leper man and he cleaned and be like, wow, that's amazing. Look at that. That was awesome. But in a sense, they know that Jesus just gave them authority and he didn't really say for how long. And so maybe they would go, you know, I'm only able to do this because Jesus told me to do it right now. And they might doubt a little bit even in that. And we know like that seems astronomical for us to go, wait, why would they doubt all these miracles? But yet all the people that saw these and experienced these still yelled crucify him at the end. So it didn't last that long even seeing him in that way. But I feel like what Jesus did here by telling them not to take anything for their basic needs was actually more for the disciples than anyone else. See, I think what he was doing is just saying, look, you may see my hand on you and you see the the leper and raise someone from the dead and all these amazing things will happen, but you're really going to know I'm with you when you're hungry and I feed you. You're really going to know I'm with you when you're thirsty and I bring water. It put them in a spot where they ultimately had to completely rely on God. And if you've ever been there, if you've ever, if you've ever been there, I don't know how I'm going to make this bill or I don't know what's going to happen here. I'm not sure how it's going to do it. And boom, it happens and you're like, I can't explain it. It makes no sense why that happened. If that hasn't happened for you, I feel like you're missing out on a really cool opportunity. 
you're playing it a little safe. I'm not saying you need to sell everything and run, but I'm saying like we should be in a spot where we are reliant on the Spirit of God to make our means, our lives, and everything else around us. Like you should be lacking joy for relying on anything in this world to do so. And so he tells them, look, don't take anything with you. And then what I love, this interesting in this last second, he says, when you enter the house, the house is, is worthy, let your peace be on it. The peace is the word shalom. It was a greeting that they would have. It was it, actually in its entirety is the ultimate peace that was in the garden. And so they, they would recommend that peace on someone. And what he's saying, if you find a house that's worthy, essentially what would happen is a lot of times when people would come into towns with the culture, they would come into the town and they would try and find a place that would stay. And, and I kid, they would look at them and go, oh, you know, I kind of, I want a king-size bed. Obviously, that's my version of it. But they, ah, this is nice, but I was kind of hoping for a master bath. So thanks for, like, opening your home to me, but I'm going to find somewhere else a little bit more comfortable. And what Jesus is saying is the first place that you come, the first place that opens the doors to you, you stay there. And he's saying, you, you stay there, you be present there, this is where you are, and don't worry about it. And this whole, like, idea of peace, let your peace go on it, and then if they don't, then receive the peace back. It's not that he's taking the blessing back, it's that it wasn't received, and therefore keep moving on. My peace will show someone else. And he basically is telling them, look, there are going to be people. There are going to be people that you're going you're to share the good news. You're going to heal them. You're going to turn the blindness into sight, and they're still not going to believe. And I think this is Jesus' way of saying, like, take heart. It's okay. Wipe the dust from your sandals and move on. Now, that term is a little harsh because essentially what they would do is Jews would walk across, like if this was a borderline, they'd walk from a Gentile area and walk into it. Before they got into a Jewish area, they'd shake the dust off their sandals so that they didn't get any Gentile dust in the Jewish land. That's how they viewed it. Like, ew, this is horrible stuff. Don't cross-contaminate. But he's saying essentially the same thing. Look, if these people aren't going to receive the gospel, like, shake it off and move on. Move on. There's, there's, the harvest is what? Plentiful. There are so many people that need the good news, the gospel. See, and I, I feel like I was pretty... I'm confronted by God in this word this week because I, I realized that um, as awesome as this is, you know, these, these, these apostles, they, they get power from Jesus to heal and do all these things. They, they get authority from Jesus. First, Jesus calls them. He calls them to him and says, come to me, and then he sends them. He does the same thing with us. Jesus calls us to him and then sends us. But I feel like I, I got confronted by the fact that I have no urgency for those that are around me that don't know Jesus. I, maybe at times I feel it and I'm like, oh, I really want to see it. And I have friends that kind of come into my life for different reasons or people. Or, or for me, it's my brother and sister. And I, like, I, you know, I've prayed, I've tried. It's like I did everything I could. It's whatever, I move on. And there's just, there's just no urgency to see God move. I, I, bet, I bet the same for you. And some of you, it would be really easy for us to distance ourselves from this text simply because you've prayed and you've never seen, like you've never gone to a funeral and prayed and someone stood up and walked away. I'm assuming. If you have, maybe it's happened. But my assumption is you're like, I've prayed for someone not to die and they still died. I've prayed for someone to be healed and it didn't happen. And so you're like, maybe that was just for them. So this section is one of those stories that we can go, oh, that was really neat. He did it for the 12 apostles, but he doesn't do that for us. And I studied to try and figure out, does it mean that, that the power and everything that these guys had, us as disciples today don't have? And some said, oh, it was for apostles, and some said it wasn't. And, and then I got confronted with a text like John 14, 12, and it says, um, John 14, 12. 
There it is. Thank you. Sorry, it's my fault. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't tell him I was going to do this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. So Jesus is saying, look, the Holy Spirit's coming. There's a comforter. There's a helper coming. And he's going to be in you. And he's going to be able to do more things than I can do. Well, Jesus did raise from the dead and heal and all these other things. And so where I kind of landed on this is essentially it's unclear. But I think it'd be really, really safe for us to believe that God can absolutely do anything. In fact, shame on us for doubting that. Because we, we would say, oh, I, I just don't see him, you know, raising anyone from the dead. Well, he could, right? In fact, in a, in a spiritual sense, he's raising people from the dead all the time. Right? We say, oh, I'm not sure he could heal. I, I think for us, most the best posture we could have in this is that he is absolutely capable of doing anything inside his will. And therefore, we will pray earnestly for it. But if it doesn't happen, that's okay. And then I think the other side of it is, is that we have to be cautious in receiving those that say something did happen. I feel like a lot of times people can talk about miracles and there's no real validity to it. And so we start worshiping a person as opposed to the, the God who creates the miracles. And so for us, I feel like we can get in a spot in life where we're like, okay, these people, they don't know Jesus, but I don't, I don't know, how, I don't know how, how to get it to them. And I feel like if we were, if we were just confident, confident that God was going to meet every single one of our needs, if we were just confident that he has given us authority to share the good news, do you think that would change? And Mike, one of our elders, said in a, in a leadership meeting this last week, he said, what if every single person, every single person that was at, at just our little church committed for a year that they're going to pray for one person to come and know the grace and the love of God that they have? What would happen if just one person, just if every single one of us prayed for one person, and he wasn't speaking in the regards of, oh, we'll get massive more numbers. He's saying, I think it would radically change the entire tone of every follower here. And I, I, it begs me, the question is like, what would happen if you and I just intentionally lived out the gospel in the life of those around us? Let me ask this in a more direct way. Right now, I can guarantee some of you or all of you that are in Christ have a spouse, a friend, a coworker, a child that does not know of the grace that you know of. And you, you think about it, you wrestle with it, but you kind of move on. What would, what, would, what would change in your life if you would just, just say, you know what, this text applies to me. Jesus came in and said, you know what, Brent, I have given you authority, now go. Preach the good news, live the good news, serve in the way, show the tangible presence of my kingdom now in a world that, let's be honest, needs every bit of it. What would happen? See, right now, someone came to your mind when I said that, but hopefully. Someone, you're like, oh, there's that person, there's that spouse, there's that kid, there's that friend, and this person, I can't get them out of my mind. They're annoying, and I run into them all the time, and somehow my paths always cross. I want to just push on you for a second. If you are surrendered to Christ as Lord and Savior, then, then it teaches that his Holy Spirit is alive in you. Can I just challenge your brain for a second? It wasn't you thinking of that person. That person that popped in your mind, that that relative, that kid, that friend, that spouse, that person, could it possibly be the Holy Spirit is pressing on you to be engaged in that? Now look, we know that Jesus doesn't need us, but he invites us. He's invited us. We see him, he invites, he's, he looks at the need and goes, ah, that's it, you know what, go disciples, go. And then we'll see even later on, he calls the rest of everyone else into the Great Commission. 
So none of us is free with that. So that person that keeps coming to mind, that person that keeps crossing your path, I can't believe I ran into them again. What if God is, is pushing you? What if he's pushing you saying, look, look, you may not know what to say, but I do. It may be uncomfortable and it may be awkward and they may not like you, but trust me, there's worse persecution. Look at your brothers and sisters in the Middle East right now. He's calling you to say, would you push into it? And I can't help but think if we were actually confident, we were confident that God knew our needs, <laughs> we went about it going, I don't need to have all these different things in place so that I can play out the scenario and know what to say, and if he says this, I'm going to say this. And No, God is in place. His Spirit's alive in us. What would happen if you actually surrendered to that? See, the problem is, is some of you right now, you can't even surrender all of your life to Christ. So we need to go back to that week when we talked about Matthew and the fact that we aren't even really worthy of sitting around the campfire with Jesus. We don't belong in that campfire. So maybe what compels you to be a little bit more urgent in the fact that those that don't know the Lord or his grace or his, his compassion or his love for them, maybe what compels you a little bit more is the fact that you realize you don't know, didn't know that and didn't deserve that. Instead of being right, instead of being justified in your anger, what would, it, what would change if your posture changed and you recognized that, that, that everyone is in need of God's grace? Would you be a little bit more urgent about it? If each of us faithfully and earnestly lived the kingdom and saw friends, coworkers, spouses, kids come to know the Lord, do you think that maybe there'd be a little bit more fire in us? I think we can get so complacent and go, oh, you know what? Like we view coming to Christ as an event and it happened for us, so therefore we just move on. And we forget the very grace he showed us, the very fact that he, he, has, he has disrupted our life and brought in a whole different way to live. And my fear is that you, and, and just like I, have lost the love and, and lost track of the fact that we are on mission Jesus, if you're like, well, what do I do with my life? Here you go. Preach the gospel. Go. Don't sit around. So, some of you in here right now, you're like, man, I, I'm not sure I believe this. Like, I don't even know like, whether this is true or not. I, I'm not even really sure. I, I see things that are going on in, in the Middle East, and I think, how, God, why in the world, what? I just want to encourage you to go back to the very first verse we read. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. Compassion is what compels Jesus to call you and I to actually be the hands and feet of his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Compassion is what calls him to do this. Compassion is what compels us to earnestly pray for laborers to come. Have you ever prayed for something earnestly, like I want something and you've done it? Isn't it weird how if someone asks you to pray for something and you actually prayed for them, not, that's a whole other sermon, but not like, oh, I'll pray for you and don't do it. But if you actually prayed for them, have you ever noticed is as you pray for them, you start longing for that more too? You start finding yourself like, I, I, want, I want that to happen. I'm excited about that. And you, hey, how's it going? And you, you actually find yourself aligned with that. I think that's what Jesus is saying here is that pray for the labors. And I think it's just a matter of time that you realize you are a labor. Earnestly pray for this. And you're going to go, oh, wait. 
God, would you send someone? Oh, but I guess I, you could send me too. Band's going to come up and we're going we're gonna to worship a little bit more and sing some songs. But before they do, before we get into this, I just, I want to push a little bit harder on this because what Jesus is about to get into is, is really interesting because it's the worst sales pitch ever, right? He's like, persecution is going to come and look, you're going to be like, uh, you're going to be, life's going to be incredibly hard and it's going to be difficult and all these things are going to be horrendous and, and, and it's just going to be like ridiculously difficult to follow me. And he goes on and says, hey, have no fear. Anyways, I don't, we'll get there in a second. But, but what I want to push on you is, is because right now, God did put someone in your heart or your mind. There is that name, and maybe it's the person sitting next to you. Maybe it's someone that you've, you've shared the gospel with over and over and over again, and you've beat him in the head with it a billion times, and you're like, oh, it's just never going to happen. I, I would encourage you, if they're still in your heart and still in your mind, there's a reason why the Spirit's stirring in that. I would ask that you engage in that. You wouldn't run from it, but you'd run into it. And I know it's awkward and it's scary, and they may not like you if you try and tell them about Jesus or you try and serve them. They may be like, why are you being nice to me finally? That's not a good reason to not do it. If you're like, well, you know, I've been such a jerk to him for so long that if I start being nice to him, they won't really accept it anyways because they won't know what's going on. That's a bad reason to not do it. But would you, would you take these words as, as if Jesus were reading it to me and says, hey, I've, I've given you authority. Now, I want you, I want you to, to tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You don't need to stand on a street corner and do it, but I want you to, I want you to get in relationally. I want you to meet those needs. I want, you to, I, want you to start, I want you to start loving on these people so that they can see, experience, and taste the gospel, not just hear it. And that's what God is calling us to. And so those of you that have that person that came to mind, I'm, I'm going to plead with you, don't give up. Don't give up. Earnestly pray. Don't lose heart. Keep, keep pushing in and don't run from it. And, and if you're sitting here and you're a follower of Jesus and no one came to mind, I would encourage you to spend some more time with people that don't know Jesus then. You're like, ah, there's no one in my life that really needs it. Then I, you've lost the urgency that all of our brothers and sisters all over the world feel today. I encourage you to act and move and live with a little bit more urgency about the things that matter and less urgency about these little needs that we already know God's going to meet. We pray, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for inviting us into this work. It's, 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 in, it's exciting to see that you, um, you desire to see your mission accomplished through those whom you call to you. It's exciting for me to know that uh, despite the fact that I was a mess and, and broken and disgusting and left on my own worthless, but you, you changed my heart, you brought me into a new creation, and, and you didn't just leave me there to bring me into a new creation to be excited, but you brought me into a new creation so that I could be the hope and the hand and the pointing a life that points directly to your son, Jesus Christ. And so I pray for every single person in this room, whether they are close to you or far from you, God, that they would recognize that it's, it's compassion that compels you. It's a love that, that moves you and motivates you. It's a, it's a love that we are, we are invited to be a part of. Father, I pray that, that every single one of us would, would, would move with a little bit more urgency to seeing those that don't know you, don't know your grace, don't understand your peace, um, to know it. And God, I pray that we wouldn't just rely on some other labor, but we would be praying for all labors, God. We would recognize that, that when we're praying for labors, we're also praying for ourselves to be active in this, Lord. And Father, as we, as we pray for things that don't make sense, God, I pray that you would reveal your work and your mighty hand 
And as we see people come to know you, I pray that we would get out of the way and bring glory to your son, Jesus Christ. And God, that this wouldn't be some, some small little like excitement thing for a week, but that we would earnestly be praying for you to bring a labors to the harvest that is plentiful. God, for, for the, for not only for the people around the world, but for the people in Boise. And not just pray for some building to do it and, and some professional to do it, God, but to pray that each disciple, each follower of Jesus would be surrendered and submitted to your work of being your hands, being your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray that we would be a people marked by that. Lord, I actually pray that um, the name that came up in the, the heads of everyone in this room, I pray that you'd be relentless with that name. I pray that that name would pop up in the commercials. I pray that name would show up everywhere. I pray that they couldn't stop thinking about him. I pray that it would be almost annoying at how present it is. And God, in that moment when we finally surrender to that, God, I pray that you would show your hand in every single conversation, every single instance, and we could see you working and weaving your gospel into the hearts of other people as you invite us into this process. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.